E4E is brought to you by the University of Delaware Partnership for Public Education. In an effort to increase the availability and accessibility of UD expertise to Delaware's P12 educators, leaders, and policy influencers, we have invited faculty members from the University of Delaware's nine colleges to share their research. We hope you enjoyed today's critical conversation and consider ways you might be able to leverage relevant research and UD expertise to advance policy and transform practice. Hello, my name is Dr. Anastasia Pernton. I'm the Associate Policy Scientist for the Partnership for Public Education. On today's episode of E4E, we are joined by Dr. Roberta Golenkoff and Alexis Ramirez. Dr. Golenkoff is a professor specializing in language development, the benefits of play, and preschoolers' early spatial knowledge in the School of Education at the University of Delaware. Dr. Golenkoff is the co-founder of the Ultimate Block Party, a movement to celebrate the science of learning, and the co-founder of Playful Learning Landscapes, an initiative to transform cities into play learning centers for children. She is also the author of multiple books, such as Becoming Brilliant, What Science Tells Us About Raising Successful Children, and Einstein Never Used Flashcards, How Our Children Really Learn, and Why They Need to Play More and Memorize Less. Alexis Ramirez is a doctoral student in the Learning Sciences Program at the University of Delaware School of Education. She currently works with Dr. Golenkoff to explore early language development and is interested in how parents talk with their children to help them learn new words and about the world around them. Today, we've invited our guests to speak about their work on baby talk. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Roberta Golenkoff and Alexis Ramirez. Dr. Golenkoff, before we get into our conversation, would you mind providing us with a little more background on the topic of early childhood language development? Why is it so important to make sure children have a strong language foundation before school entry? Oh, you're right in my wheelhouse. You're making me happy. People need to know that in kindergarten, when children's language is measured, it predicts better than anything, including math, including executive function, to their achievement in the third grade and the gains they make in achievement by the fifth grade. In all subjects, language is absolutely essential to success in school. This is why I am so passionate about studying early language, studying the factors that promote it in children, what role the family plays, what kinds of interactions need to take place to help language grow, and how we can make that happen both inside and outside of school. We can't wait for school to help our children learn vocabulary. We, we have to talk and converse with them from the get-go, from birth. Alexis, I know that you study baby talk with Dr. Golenkoff. So could you tell us what baby talk is and how that style of talking is really helpful to encouraging babies to learn new words? Yeah, I think an example will really clarify this. So when adults interact with babies, adults tend to naturally adjust the way they talk and utilize what we call infant directed speech or IDS or commonly known as baby talk, right? So, for example, when a dog passes by, a parent might tell their baby, wow, look at the doggy. So in comparison to adult-directed speech or ADS, IDS typically includes a slower rate of speech, fewer words, 
higher than average pitch, elongating those vowels, so dragging out the O and the word wow, and using simpler words. And what the research suggests is that there are many benefits associated with using IDS when talking with babies. So, for example, talking in this way has been found to encourage attention to language. In fact, we see that infants prefer listening to IDS in both their native language as well as a foreign one. And this preference is developed within two days of birth. So... Like I said, we see that using IDS is really capturing infants' attention, and this attention to language helps with a couple of things. So, for example, infants are more easily able to differentiate between speech and background noise when they hear IDS, <laughs> and IDS also helps infants identify when a word begins and ends. When we hear someone speak another language that we're maybe not familiar with, it can be very, very challenging to extract words within that speech stream, right? So that's pretty similar to the situation infants are in when they're first learning language. So going back to my example, look at the doggy. When I rise my intonation while saying doggy, I'm bringing more attention to that word. So if there's a dog in the environment, the idea is that this type of talk will make it easier for babies to connect the label doggy to the dog. So altogether, we can see how using ideas can actually really facilitate word learning. Okay, Alexis. So we know baby talk is very beneficial. But what are parents' reactions when you talk to them about the idea of using baby talk? How do their beliefs relate to your current work? Yeah, so... The research right now is pretty limited in this area. There is one article by Johnston and Wong that was published way back in 2002. Way back. Way way back. (laughs) (laughs) And in their study, they created a survey that explored cultural differences in beliefs and practices concerning talk to children between Western and Chinese mothers of preschoolers. So a little bit of an older age range. And what they found, shockingly, was that North American English mothers typically agree that baby talk interferes with language development. So even though there's a ton of research that suggests baby talk is a good thing, parents think otherwise. So Dr. Gollengoff and I have designed a follow-up study, and this study looks at whether parents' beliefs about baby talk matches what they actually do when speaking to their child. So we think there will be a mismatch between parents' beliefs and behavior. So in other words, although parents may claim not to support the use of baby talk, we think they actually might be using it unconsciously when they're talking with their infant. So as of right now, we're currently collecting and analyzing data for that study. But uh, preliminary results suggest that parents are pretty split on whether they believe the use of IDS supports or hinders their child's language development. And as of now, there seems to be some kind of miscommunication between parents' beliefs and the research. That's really fascinating. I wonder, because I think parents and teachers are often just so bombarded with messages on what are considered, quote unquote, best practices to support children's language development. Dr. Golenkoff, based on your research, what are some evidence-informed opportunities for parents to promote language development in everyday experiences with their child? I'm so glad you said everyday experiences. People don't have to take a course in how to facilitate their children's language. It's so ironic that we think one needs to do something special. We don't. All we need to do is engage 
our children in conversation. Now, when they're really little, you're not going to hear anything that you can understand when they talk back. But that's okay because we know babies as early as eight weeks of age can take turns with you when you vocalize with them while you're looking at them. So you go, ah, and they go, eh, you know, or vice versa. You're imitating them. It's the most exciting thing when you get into that kind of back and forth communication with babies. That's setting the groundwork for turn taking and the back and forth communication that should be happening between parents and kids. Again, you don't have to get a PhD in linguistics to do this. You just have to treat your child as someone who wants to learn. And when you're doing your everyday activities, for example, they get their diaper changed like 400 times a day. If, if you can accompany that by talk with the baby that simply describes what you're doing and asks them questions, you've got it. It's that simple. There is no need to stress about it. Having back and forth conversations with children is what it's all about. I have observed parents who have not picked up on their baby's garbled pronunciation attempts when in the presence of an object. So for example, the baby sees a car and says, "Cat," and the parent won't recognize it as car. We have to recognize these approximations and reward them and say them for the child. So we shouldn't wait till the child produces full comprehensible sentences. But from the get-go, we should be restating, reframing, answering questions, and inviting children to speak. Yeah, Roberta, you bring up a lot of interesting points. I wonder if you could take a step back and elaborate on recalling, recasting, reframing, and what those components look like in this example of a child trying to pronounce the word car. So if the child says cat and it doesn't sound quite right and you're not even sure it is car, the thing to do would be to say, yes, that's a car. See, and it has wheels. And there's another one over there, another car. So what parents do, many parents do naturally is they, as Alexis pointed out earlier, they put heavy emphasis. Alexis's example was doggy. Look at the doggy. When you put a word, and I don't expect parents to think about this consciously, but when you put a word at the end of a sentence, it is in a privileged position, especially when you're using infant-directed speech, because it's often the highest pitch in the sentence, and it calls attention to the components of the word. It's a doggy. It's a car. You're right. So... Kids really profit from hearing their thoughts put into words by their parents and caregivers, even before they can do that themselves. That's how they learn. Roberta, I think uh, what you just said was very interesting because in a nutshell, it seems like the parent is letting the child lead the discussion, even if those words aren't fully articulated. So I think that's something to emphasize is 
sometimes having the parents step back and seeing what the child is currently pointing at, looking at, trying to pronounce like the car, even if it's not, again, fully articulated and going off that, like you said, describing and such. And, you know, it's so interesting, Alexis, that you say that because I'm telling you, it's so important to build on what kids say. And it costs you nothing. As a colleague wrote, talk is cheap, except if you're a baby and you need lots of it. So, Roberta, that brings up a, another really good point, right? Because I do think you said it's it's not anything to stress about, but I do think that parents often do stress about sort of the developmental implications of the things that, that they're doing with their baby every day. So what resources, you know, would you suggest for parents to turn to that offer reliable information about their child's language development? Well, I would like to tell you about my book called How Babies Talk. It is available on Amazon and used versions by now. It came out in 2000, I think. But that doesn't matter because the research has not changed that much. And the messages about how to interact with babies that are in there are the same. Namely, have conversations, pick up on your child's attempt to communicate. As Alexis pointed out, if children are pointing, the research tells us that those things that they are pointing to will be the first things that they use language for. It's such a fascinating process. And in How Babies Talk, we really try to capture the delight and the wonder of the process. We also talk a lot about language in our book, Einstein Never Used Flashcards. And we understand from our colleagues that some have used it as a primer in child development classes because we go through pretty much every area of development. There are other books out there. It's mostly about following one's instincts and thinking that it's so nice to have a back and forth with the child and to engage with the child. And it's a form of respect as well, not to let the child's attempt at communication just go by, but to honor it and to pick up on it and to encourage them. Kids who have the luxury of having parents who do that will not have meltdowns to the same extent as children whose parents ignore their communicative attempts. Roberta, this has been a wonderful conversation, and we are so thankful to have you as a guest today. Is there anything you'd like to add to this conversation before we finish up? I would love to tell people about some studies that we're doing where we're reading to children over Zoom. Now, in the United States, we know that many children do not have the opportunity to be read to as often as they should be. Furthermore, it is the case that sometimes the direction to read to children is interpreted as, okay, let's get this over with, blah, 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 blah. That's not what we want reading to be. We want reading to be what's called dialogic. It's a fancy word. All it means is, honoring children's interest in the pictures and in the text, asking children questions, repeating words they might not have heard. Oh, cauldron, cauldron. That's like a giant pot that you put soup in, but you could put other things in it too. Can you say it? Cauldron. Okay. 
it's remarkable even that many wonderful preschool teachers do not define words as they read books to kids. It's easy to do. It costs us nothing. So what we're doing in these studies where we're reading to children over Zoom is first we have established that children starting at about the age of four get just as much from having been read to over Zoom than having been read to in person. Now what we want to do is we want to augment what we're doing with our wonderful graduate student, Amanda Delgado, by adding gestures that children repeat, like I went like this, right? It's big. It's a cauldron, right? We suspect that what I'm doing is holding my hands as if they're holding a giant pot. We suspect that seeing gestures as words are heard and being asked to produce those gestures will help children even more to learn new vocabulary. And the key piece here is now we are in a position to offer this reading to children from disadvantaged backgrounds who may not be read to a lot. Because my belief, I've been so passionate about this, I really hope we can get funded, is that if we can read to children over Zoom when they're at school, eventually perhaps when they're at home, but not every home has good internet connectivity, if we can read to children when they're at school, By the same person each time, they will form a relationship with the person, which I think is really important. And the person will talk to them about their lives and attempt to integrate what's in the book with the child's life. And we can also help children learn the structure of stories as well as vocabulary. So I'm really eager, especially in the time of COVID, when children have lost so much to be able to bring this to the children in Delaware who come from families where they might not be read to a lot. Alexis, do you have any closing statements you'd like to add? No, I think Roberta um, tied it all together. I think something to just kind of bring it all back is that it seems like the way parents are talking with children or maybe teachers talking to children, preschool teachers, providers, anyone, an adult who's talking to a child, it seems to really matter. And that's what is, again, facilitating later language development, later academic achievement. So I think just having these conversations and noticing these little cues is really important. And we build social emotional development, too, when we use language with our children. We help them label their emotions and we help them build the self-regulation that they need to do well in school. And there is data to support everything that Alexis and I have said. We're not making this stuff up. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Roberta Golenkoff and Alexis Ramirez for joining us today. Thank Thank you. you. (laughs) For more information about Dr. Roberta Golenkoff's work, please visit our website, udell.edu backslash PPE and navigate to the E4E podcast link on our homepage or follow the link in the description. Thank you for listening to this episode of E4E brought to you by the University of Delaware Partnership for Public Education. For more information about the work being done by the Partnership for Public Education, please visit our website at www.udell.edu backslash PPE.